0: Well good morning church. Good Good to see you living hope. It's good to be together to worship in song and worship around God's word. There were two friends who were walking along the road when one friend says to the other, I have a mountain of credit debt, I've lost my job, my car's being repossessed, and my house is in foreclosure. But I'm not worried about it. Well, that's great, his friend asked, why not? Well, I have hired a professional worrier. Professional worrier. He does all my worrying for me, and that way I don't even have to think about it. Well, that's fantastic. How much does your professional worrier charge you for his services? $25,000 a year, he replied. $25,000 a year, we're going to get that kind of money. I don't know, he said, that's his worry. Right, you saw that coming, right? You know, we may smile at that story, but worry is serious business. Might you be considered a professional worrier? Professional worrier? It's been said that worry is a thin stream of fear that trickles through the mind, which if encouraged will cut a channel so wide that all of the thoughts will be drained out. Someone else so aptly put it, today is the tomorrow we worried about yesterday. A Swedish proverb says, worry often gives a small thing a big shadow. Professional explorer and adventurer Mike Horn put it this way. He says, if you worry, you'll die. And if you don't worry, you'll die. So why worry? But we worry. Oh, you, you might be worrying right now. Worry is, it seems to be something we kind of default to. We're in the rocking chair of worry in which it gives us something to do, but doesn't get us anywhere. My main thought today is, is this, it's kind of given away by the title, worry is not worth the trouble. Worry is not worth the trouble. Now last week, as we looked at Isaiah chapter 14, our subject matter was pride. And most, if not all of us, uh, recognize pride as sin. I mean, we may not always see it in ourselves, or uh, we may not be self-aware of the form that pride's taking in our lives, but likely I didn't have to convince you that pride is sin. Now, worry may take a little more convincing. It's one of the more acceptable sins. We may even give it a nicer name and call our worry a concern. I'm just concerned. Now, there's a difference between being concerned and being worried. And I'm not really interested in parsing out that difference today. uh, You can work out for yourself where that line gets crossed for you. My focus this morning is on worry and anxiety's opposite, peace. Peace cannot coexist with anxiety. And as we continue in our sermon series in the book of Isaiah on the theme of why are we here, we come to chapter 26 this morning. And Isaiah, and I I invite you if you're not there, turn with me to uh, the book of Isaiah. It's an Old Testament book to Isaiah chapter 26. Isaiah chapter 26. Now as I said at the outset of this sermon series, I wouldn't touch on every chapter and every verse But I was going to approach this study by drawing out passages that give us kind of a flavor of the entire book. My hope has really been to bring out concepts that can be mined in this very rich book of the Old Testament. Now I'm going to approach Isaiah 26 in, in very unusual fashion for me. And if you're here for the first time, uh, this is not usually how I approach uh, scripture and, and sermons. But today, uh, today, unusual fashion for me, I am going to focus primarily on one verse. Yes, one verse. Yes, it is possible. And this one verse does capture the essence of the chapter. And we'll, we'll speak of it, of course, in its context. You go, okay, great. One verse will be out of here in no time. Yeah, dream on. Now, this verse that we're going to look at is one that you've likely memorized. Um, Certainly, you're familiar with it. It's a a verse you might might have seen uh, as you entered into a home hung up on the wall. I learned it when I was very young in the King James Version. And it went like this. Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on thee, because he trusteth in thee. Isaiah 26, verse 3. Isaiah 26, verse 3. And so this morning, we're going to look at the promise of peace. What is it? What peace looks like? And then we're going to look at the place of peace. How do we get it? And then we're going to look at the prescription for peace. What's the antidote to worry? Promise, place, prescription, all peace. I'm sure you're quite pleased this morning with, that we're going to do that. Doesn't matter if you are or not. I am. Here we go. First heading, promise of peace. Promise of peace. Answers the question, what is this peace? What does it look like? All right? Isaiah chapter 26, get your eyes on verse 3, and just the first line. This is what it says in the NIV. You, God, you, God, will keep in perfect peace. Now I got to give you a little uh, context for this because what we have going on in chapter 26 is a movement from the future to the present and then back to the future. And God through Isaiah gives them a, a snapshot of what awaits them. That looking ahead there is going to be kingdom blessings, that God is a covenant keeping God. He is a, a promise keeper and, and God will not walk out on his children ever. But God, in giving them what's up ahead, isn't ignoring their present reality. God was aware of their present troubles, but he reminds them that he's not defeated by those troubles. Now, the people of God in Isaiah's day needed to hear this. Isaiah is saying to, uh, this, this to this people uh, whose world is, is crumbling all around them. The northern kingdom of Israel, the 10 tribes, has been taken away into captivity in Assyria. And then southern kingdom, the other two tribes that Isaiah is writing to, is under threat to also be taken away into captivity into Babylon. And some scholars and teachers even think by the time Isaiah 26 was said and written, they were in captivity. Maybe. Either way, they had cause for worry. They had cause for worry. Because these people that he's writing to weren't in the best place. These were dark and scary times for God's people. Know the feeling? There wasn't much to rejoice about. They had lost their song. So God looks to breathe hope into their souls. He gives them a glimpse of the future. And Isaiah speaks of a day when they will once again have a song to sing. Because chapter 26 is a song. It's a song that is going to be sung to the Lord when they are finally delivered from all the oppression. They're going to sing this to the Lord. That's what Isaiah 26 is all about. And although the immediate context is of a future day, the people of God will taste ultimate victory They'll experience God's strong deliverance. They'll they enjoy the protection of God himself. There is a peace that God wants them to know in the present. For the promise is given. You, God, will keep in perfect peace. All right, what's this peace? Probably already know. The word for peace here is Shalom. Shalom. And what you might hear uh, from between two uh, Jewish uh, people as they greeted each other would go something like this. One would say to the other, what's your shalom? And the other would respond, my shalom, my peace is from the Lord for I trust wholly in him. Church, what's your shalom? What, what, are, you, what are you looking to for peace? What are you looking to for Peace. And have you found it? As the song goes, I've climbed the highest mountain, I've scaled city walls, I've kissed honey lips, but I still haven't found what I'm looking for. I still haven't found what I'm looking for. Have you found what you're looking for? Have you found this peace that you're looking for? Or do you find yourself frantically racing around trying to get it? H.G. Wells' Fifteen years before his passing, he confessed and he said, let me put it this way. The time has come for me to reorganize my life, my peace, I cry out. I cannot adjust my life to secure any fruitful peace. Here I am at 64 years of age, still seeking peace. It's a hopeless dream. Here's the thing. External solutions can never give the kind of peace that God promises to give. Never. You can try it. Tell me how it's working for you. Now interestingly how it reads in the original language of, of Hebrew is God will keep in shalom, shalom. God will keep in shalom, shalom. It's repetition is for the purpose of emphasis. Whenever they want to emphasize, truly, truly. I mean they want to emphasize something, they, they would repeat it. It would show Intensity. See, not only can we have peace, we can have peace, peace, or as the NIV translates it, perfect peace. We can have this peace. Well, what is this peace, peace, this perfect peace? Well, let me first say what it's not, what it's not. Peace isn't this idea of having a fearless life. That's not what it means by I don't have any fear in my life, so I'm at peace. That's not what it means. It's it is really probably fear redirected. Peace isn't having a, a, a disconnect from reality. It's not walking around in the midst of a of, 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 of some significant loss or or tragedy or, or trial that you're going in your life and saying, God's got a plan, God's got a plan. I'm not upset because God's got a plan. No, no, no. That's fake peace. That's counterfeits. That's not what it means. Not disconnect from reality. Peace doesn't mean you're emotionally distant, you know, that you're unaffected by things. See, peace and a broken heart can coexist. It is isn't indifference. Peace is not apathy. I mean, you can look to have peace because you just act as though you just don't care what's going on. Whatever, I don't really care. That's counterfeit peace. That's not really the true peace that God's talking about here. Now, as an important aside, Important aside, there is a difference in the Bible between peace with God and the peace of God. Romans 5 speaks of having peace with God. In Romans chapter 5, verse 1, it says, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, until you recognize your need for Christ, oh, I need you, I need you. You are at enmity with God. You cannot find peace with God by showing up on Sunday morning, and, and this is your, you know, your thing that you do at, at the beginning of your week. It isn't. It isn't. You know. You don't find this this um, peace with God by just going doing religious things or or good things or or by trying to be the best person you can be. That's not going to give you peace with God. The only way you can have peace with God is by accepting what Jesus has done for you through His sacrifice on the cross. That's it. Have you? It begs the question. Have you done that? Do you have peace with God? If you don't, I would love to talk with you. Do you have peace with God? See, what we're looking at today, though, is the peace of God. What's the difference? Well, they're distinct, but not entirely separated. The peace of God is a byproduct of peace with God. If you've made peace with God, then you can walk it with this peace of God. It is attainable. It's an inner peace that's available to everyone. You see, peace is this tranquility of the soul. Peace has to do with confidence in God's control of your life. Peace of God is that which is constant, confident frame of mind, no matter the conditions. Peace is a mind at ease, All is going to be okay. Don't don't you want that? I need more of that in my life. But how can we have peace of God when there's so many terrible things going on in the world around us? How can we have peace when there's this inner turmoil or or trouble in your life? There was this man who looked for a a, a, perfect picture of peace. And not finding one that satisfied, he announced a contest to produce a perfect picture of peace and paintings arrived from all over the place. The judges uncovered one peaceful scene after another, these paintings, and while the viewers clapped and they cheered, only two pictures remained unveiled. And as a judge pulled the cover from the first picture, a hush just fell over the crowds. It was a picture, a painting of a, of a mirror-smooth lake, reflected uh, lacy green birches under the soft blush of the, of the evening sky. Along the grassy shore, a flock of sheep grazed undisturbed. Ah, certainly this was going to be the winner. Then the last painting was uncovered. It was a painting of a picture of a tumultuous waterfall cascading down a rocky precipice. Stormy gray clouds threatened to explode with lightning and wind and rain. And everyone kind of went, could this be peace? And the guy missed with a point of all this? Well, in the midst of that storm, a frail tree clung to the rocks at the edge of the falls one of its branches reached out in front of the torrential waters and there was a little bird that built its nest in the elbow of that branch that's on the right of this content undisturbed in her stormy surroundings the bird rested on her eggs and with her eyes closed and her wings ready to cover her little ones she manifested peace that transcended all earthly turmoil. That painting won the contest. That's a picture of God's peace. It's it's an inner tranquility in the midst of the raging storm around us. That's God's peace that will keep us, it says, meaning guard us, protect us, preserve us in the midst of the turmoil around us. Do you have that kind of peace? And is that what others are seeing in you as they see you throughout the week? There's someone who has something I don't have. He has, she has peace. I want that. Worry is not worth the trouble when God promises peace, peace. All right, how do we get this peace? Let's go to the place of peace, which answers that question. How do we get it? Next line, 26, verse 3. See, I told you we could do this. God will keep in peace, peace, meaning perfect peace. Now get this, this, is the line we're focusing on. Him whose mind is steadfast. Or as another translates it, one I'm, I'm particularly fond of, is, is whose mind is stayed on thee. Stayed put on the Lord. Is your mind stayed on the Lord? Stayed on Him? The idea behind the word stayed, uh, or whose mind is steadfast, is to lean on or lay on something, or it's it's to be propped up on. It's to put your weight on it for the long haul. Stayed. Have you noticed? People aren't staying today. Dads aren't staying Couples aren't staying, churchgoers aren't staying, pastors aren't staying, workers aren't staying, youth aren't staying when something gets a bit challenging. And so when life gets hard, if you don't stay, if you don't lean in on the Lord, you will then abandon the work of endurance, fortitude in your life, and you'll miss out on the supernatural peace. Don't do it. Don't run away from the hard stuff. You might miss out on the peace that God wants to give you in the midst of it, because it's possible. So, how do we get this? Pretty straightforward here, by staying on the Lord, whose mind is steadfast, stayed on Him. But do you see it? Whose mind is stayed on Him, whose mind is steadfast. The mind. Our imagination, our, our thought life. You see, perspective is formed by what we're leaning on, what's going on in the mind. Turn with me your Bibles to Philippians chapter 4 if you want to. It will also be on the screen. But Philippians chapter 4 and verse 8, because what we're asking as we get to Philippians 4 verse 8 is what is your mind leaning on? What are you propping up your mind on? What do we spend time thinking about. That's what Paul picks up. Philippians chapter 4 verse 8. Whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Now, by the way, do you notice if you're looking at it or do you remember what it says in Philippians 4 7, the verse just before that, those words in verse 8? It's the verse that speaks of the peace of God which transcends all understanding. And and do you remember or can you see for yourself there what comes before that verse in verse 6? Do not be anxious for anything. About anything. Might there be a connection between God's peace that drives out anxiety And what we're thinking about. You're a pretty smart group. I think you know the answer. What are we chewing on in our minds? What sustains my mind? I mean, don't you wish at times you could erase all that worries you? Gone. Well, there was a man who went to see a psychiatrist because he was obsessed with worry. The psychiatrist used hypnosis therapy to clear out the memory of what was worrying the man. To get rid of all those worries. And they were all gone after he did this this therapy. And the man left the office to return only a few days later. And he goes to the doctor and he says, it's worse than ever. Well, what's the problem now? The psychiatrist asked him. And the man replied, I have forgotten what I'm supposed to be worrying about. (laughs) Isn't that what happens? We've forgotten what it is we're supposed to be worrying about. I mean, if if, if worrying is so integrated in our lives that when it's absent, we start to worry. That's how bad it gets. Well, if you run out of things to worry about, just turn on the news. What's the saying in the news? If it bleeds, it leads. A survey a few years ago found that more than half of Americans say the news causes them stress and many report feeling anxiety, fatigue, or sleep loss as a result. Yet, one in ten adults checks the news every hour. And fully, 20% of, 20 of Americans report constantly monitoring their social media feeds, which often exposes them to the latest news headlines, whether they like it or not. Church, this is certifiably insane. We are literally, I say we, we are literally making ourselves anxious by welcoming all of that noise into our lives. I mean, don't you wish you had a way to kind of block out all, all that noise? Well, Apple's uh, earbud pros are called noise canceling earbuds, noise canceling headphones. And the science behind them, as far as I understand, is that microphones sample the noise outside. And then create noise, anti-noise in your ears so you cannot hear those other things. It doesn't filter out everything but filters out most of the junk noise because there's an opposite signal being produced in your ear. Now just like those earbuds cancel out the outside noise with opposite sound, we can cancel out our worries and anxieties with the anti-noise of the truth of the word of God. We can We have to work at it, but we can What it means is opening our minds to that which comes from God and closing our minds to that which doesn't come from God. And all that noise out there, often the word of God says the opposite. And by focusing on the words, it has the potential to cancel out those lies, all that junk that needs to be filtered out. So how do we get this piece? Part of the solution is found in what we're choosing to think about. The noise And information we are inviting into our minds. Because I think we could all agree most news is not true, noble, right, pure, lovely, or admirable. It's just noise. And much like our smartphones, news creates anxiety in our lives, making it harder for us to focus on the work God has given us to do undoubtedly, undoubtedly the rising volume of the kingdom of noise, as C.S. Lewis referred to it, the rising volume of the kingdom of noise is making us significantly more anxious. Let's put our minds in the right place, stay propped up on the Lord. That is how we get this peace. Now, not only must we look to eliminate all the, some of that external noise? Some of it can't help it, but we need to eliminate some of that external noise. Listen, there's another place where noise comes in, internal noise. It's that internal noise that's inside our heads that just keeps playing in our heads that says, hey, we're not good enough or we've failed God or that self-talk that kind of shames us, recalls every failure, inner noise what can rob us of peace is when we only look at our sin and not our Savior. One preacher said it this way, For everyone look at your sin, take five looks at your Savior. I like that. Everyone look at your sin. Take five looks at your Savior. Oh, to find the place of peace where we shut off some external noise and try to to tame that beast, that endless mental chatter of the internal noise that never shuts up requires discipline and intentionality. Now, growing up, I heard a lot about having your quiet time. I used to mock it as legalistic. And it certainly can be, like many other things. But I used to mock it as legalistic. But might there be a direct link between shrugging off quiet time and the absence of peace and so many lives in the Christian community today? Might there be a direct link? So I ask you, how is your alone time in the quiet with just you and God been doing been going lately how's it been going all right the promise of peace the place of peace and lastly the prescription for peace which answers the question what is the antidote to worry let's look at the last part now of verse 3 it says because he trusts in you to the degree our trust is in the lord is the degree we experience his peace. Try that out. See if it sticks. You see, to partly trust in God and partly trust in something else, I would say that is the prescription for insecurity and worry. Worry is really about being divided. You might recall the time uh, when Jesus visited Martha In Mary in their home. You'll find it in Luke chapter 10. I think it's 38 through 42. Somewhere around there. Luke chapter 10. And you might recall the the situation. that, That Martha was running frantically all around. Because she was anxious. She was divided among many things. I mean Jesus was one of the things. I mean he was important to her. But she was distracted by many things. It was Andrew Sullivan who said, Churches need to understand that the greatest threat to faith today is not hedonism, but distraction. How true is that? What does Jesus say to Martha? Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things. Mary has found the one thing needful. In other words, Mary is single minded. Martha, you're divided. And double-mindedness cannot coexist with peace. Are you anxious? Is worry kind of strangling the the, the life out of you? And the first place you might want to look is how divided you are in your trust. Because double-mindedness is the surest prescription for anxiety and insecurity. It's where fear is going to show up. When we're kind of trusting here, trusting here, little God, little of me, little of others. Here we go. That's fear. Do you know fear right now? I mean, it's, it's hard. You're trying to focus on the Lord, and this fear kind of s- tries to sneak in and take that focus away, right? It, it, fear messes with your single-minded trust in Him, does it not? A common problem on the, on the basketball court of high schoolers, experienced or inexperienced, is the missed layup in the open court because the player heard footsteps of the opponent's. Right? And what should have been an easy two points on the easiest shot in basketball. Right there. Put it in. It's missed. Or the ball is fumbled out of bounds. Because they heard footsteps. Footsteps of the opponents. That is what replaces peace with anxiety. That fear. We hear it coming. And it messes with us. What footsteps of fear are you you hearing? God will keep him in peace, peace, perfect peace, him whose mind is stayed on him. Why? Because he trusts in you. It's a single-minded devotion to God. It's to have a fixed disposition of trust in the Lord. What are you worrying about? I know it's real. I get it. But we you run to the Lord with that worry? Is he your hiding place? Look at me, the very next verse. I'm going to get a second verse in here now. 26, verse 4. Notice what it says. Carries on, expands on what we just read. Trust in the Lord forever, for the Lord, the Lord is the rock eternal. Now, to speak of the rock here is of a, a, a rocky peak upon which a harassed person could climb sheltering himself in one of its crevices so he can be protected from his attackers. That's what they're going to hide in that rock. And so when troubles hit, when trials seem to pile up against us, our immediate need is to get out of the storm and find a hiding place, right? Where is that for you? I mean, when life gets tough, what do you tend to turn to? Google? Your phone? Or do you tend to kind of turn on that internal chatter of worry that chips away at your peace because you think about all the what-if scenarios? Yep, I do that. What if? And what if? What if? Yep, that's worth the trouble. But what if our go-to was God more consistently? Might we find him to be that hiding place where we can discover peace so we can regroup and continue on in our journey? Worry really isn't worth the trouble. It robs us of peace. It isn't worth the trouble because often you can't do anything about the outcome. But can you trust God with the outcome? Because where you can trust in God's wise and good control of your life, you'll have peace. Will you lack confidence in God's control, you will have anxiety, and I will too. One writer defined worry as trying to rule the world, a job for which we are clearly underqualified. (laughs) Church history tells of two prominent leaders of the Protestant Reformation in the 1500s, one of the names you certainly know, Martin Luther, but the other one was Philip Mac- Melanthon, Melanthon. They both were reformers and they were really um, were close friends. Luther was kind of doing this very dangerous thing st- starting the Reformation in Europe, starting the Protestant church. And Philip Melanthon was younger than Luther and many saw Philip as smarter in many ways than Luther. At least he was more of a scholar. But you know what else about Philip? Was that he was also a worrier. And very often he'd be panicking and he'd, he'd go to Luther and he'd say, no, flee to the mountains, get out of here, the reformation's over, it's never going to work, stop doing this, be done with it. Not going to work. And the story's told that as Philip Melanthon was carrying on in this way, Luther looked at Philip MacLanthon and said to him, let Philip cease to rule the world. <laughs> let Philip cease to rule the world. And that's really the rub for us, if we're honest. Right? Anxiety and worry happen when we lose sight of God being in control. What's your worry right now? What's mine? Will you release that to the Lord? Will you give him his rightful place of being on the throne of your life? My wife's always telling me, Brian, exhale. <sighs> <laughs> Inhale. Inhale. Exhale. I don't like to do it. I'm going to go, right? I don't have time for this. Listen. Exhale and let the worry out. Inhale and let the peace in. God's peace. God's perfect peace. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for showing us right in this one verse the importance of peace in our lives. And God, I just pray that we can work that out because there's, there's, there's plenty of worry in this room. Someone right here standing behind this pulpit. I just pray we can release that to you and give it to you because what you call us to do is be single-minded on you, to have our devotion on you. God help us with that as we just kind of go sideways sometimes on that. To be single minded, not double minded. I pray in Jesus' name.